Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. In the wake of the devastation and destruction of the Second World War, many people have posited that question. Could it have been prevented? What if something else had happened and it had caused the war not to occur? It's a uh, challenging question and one that we're going to uh, take on with today's program. Uh, we're not going to go into some sort of weird sci-fi direction with somebody traveling back in time and killing Hitler or something like that. We're going to present to you instead an episode of a program called Stroke of Fate. Stroke of Fate was an intriguing program NBC introduced in the fall of 1953. About what if... Uh, Certain uh, events in history had happened just a little bit differently. As the Digital Deli FTP.com points out, CBS had been airing a program called You Are There, telling people what did happen and bringing history to life. Here we have a dramatic series imagining what might have happened, bringing an alternate uh, or potential alternate history to life. It's a fascinating uh, speculation. And the series took on this question of the war uh, from, on the uh, program that aired November 22nd of 1953, asking what would have happened if the French had fought Hitler's occupation of the Rhineland. So let's go ahead and we'll take a listen to Stroke of Fate. altered the course of human events. Suppose by a stroke of fate, Pickett's famous charge at Gettysburg had been successful. Suppose fate had decreed that the assassin who shot President Lincoln had missed. Yes, much depends upon a stroke of fate. And tonight we rewrite history as we present a dramatic conception of what might have happened if, by a stroke of fate, the French in 1936 had opposed by military force Hitler's occupation of the Rhineland. On March 7, 1936, the German army marched into the Rhineland, which had been demilitarized under the terms of the Versailles Treaty, which ended World War I. The German march was in defiance of the Versailles Treaty. It could have been stopped through forceful action by the French and the British but they did not take the necessary action. Tonight's story is historically true up to our stroke of fate. In this case, a decision. After that, speculation based on genuine historical possibility. Had the stroke of fate really occurred, our story might have been related by the German Army's chief of staff in 1936, General Ludwig von Beck. August 2nd, 1934, a year after Germany had withdrawn from the League of Nations, President von Hindenburg died, and Adolf Hitler became head of the German state. That same morning, the army took an oath of fidelity, not to the state, but to the Führer personally. 
Many of us on the general staff resented the Führer as being something of an upstart. But our respect for him grew somewhat when he was able to increase the pace of German rearmament in contradiction to the terms of the Versailles Treaty without penalty. Although the French were dismayed, the British government at this time, and most of the British people, were deceived by the Führer's declaration of peaceful intentions. But in England, there was a voice raised. Winston Churchill's. The Germans demand equality in weapons and equality in the organization of armies and fleets. And, we have been told, you cannot keep so great a nation in an inferior position. What others have, they must have. I have never agreed. It is a most dangerous demand to make. Nothing in life is eternal. But as surely as Germany acquires full military quality with her neighbors, while her own grievances are still unredressed, and while she is in the temper which we have unhappily seen, so surely should we see ourselves within a measurable distance of the renewal of European general war. The voice of Winston Churchill was a voice crying in an English wilderness. It had few echoes. But many of the German general staff were worried about the risks we were taking. And, in 1936, at an important meeting with the Führer in the Reichschanzler in Berlin, at which the commanding general of the army, General Werner von Fritsch, and myself, the chief of staff, were present. Gentlemen, I have decided that on or about March 7th, we will march into the Rhineland. My Führer! What, Fritsch? This is a violation of the Versailles Treaty. The both of which Germany is a signatory. Both are meaningless. Scraps of paper. We signed them because we forced to. They are ropes around the neck of the Reich, straining us. I will break them. Pardon me, mein Führer. I am as anxious as any German as even yourself. The German troops should once more occupy the Rhineland. But, 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 you imply doubt. There must be no doubt. I have none. Mein Führer. Yes, General. I believe that what General von Fritsch wishes to point out that France. What about France? France. Mein Führer will not permit us to re-enter the Rhineland without armed resistance. England, under the Locarno Pact, must come to France's aid, and we will be faced with overwhelming military might, which we cannot successfully challenge. France alone has almost 100 divisions. We have 36 divisions, and 36 German divisions are worth more than 100 French divisions. Pardon, Mein Führer, but we have only six well-trained divisions at present, and melee cadres for the other 30. If we were to wait for, say, two years... Wait! No! Strength lies not in defense, but in attack. You talk of France. Shall I tell you what France will do? She will not march without England. And England will not help her. England will say that we are going into our own back garden. England wants peace. All except that Schweiner Hund Churchill and some of his crazy followers. Well, I will promise them peace. Not merely for now, 
But for 25 years to come... Mein Führer... What did these degenerate democracies do when last year I ordered conscription? That, too, was a violation of the Versailles Treaty. England, France, and Italy met at Stresa, did they not? They said they found themselves in complete agreement in opposing any unilateral repudiation of treaties which may endanger the peace of Europe. And that's all that happened. An agreement crash. That did not stop conscription in Germany. England and France are not concerned with us now, but with Mussolini's conquest of Ethiopia. The League of Nations has ordered a few sanctions against Italy, but England and France are afraid to permit the League to order a sanction on oil, the one sanction that will force Mussolini to withdraw his troops because he has threatened war against them if they do. Mussolini has successfully defied 34 members of the League of Nations. Am I less than Mussolini? We will march into the Rhineland and take what is ours. We will defy the world. But, mein Führer, in, in spite of all you have said, France should attack us. She will not. Yes, but if she should, the army is not as strong. It's not strong enough either in men or equipment to have even a remote chance of victory. It is an incredible risk. Germany must be a world power or be nothing. We will fortify the Rhine into a wall of steel and flame. We will separate France from its Central European allies and the Danube Valley. The Balkans and all of Eastern Europe to the Russian border will become living space for Germany, our Lebensraum. It is worth risking everything for that. Mein Führer, will you take the responsibility for this action? Sole responsibility. Gentlemen, this means the end of the Versailles Treaty. I will free Germany from that death sentence, if necessary, by nothing but my own fanatical will. Nevertheless, the Führer did consider our objections. For on March 6, 1936, there was another meeting in the Wilhelmstraße with General von Fritsch, General Werner von Blomberg, the Minister of War, and with General Hermann Göring present. Tomorrow, we march into the Rhineland. But, out of regard to the fears of some of you, I order that the generals commanding the occupation force carry instructions to the effect that if French soldiers enter the Rhineland, our army is to immediately retreat without in any way opposing them. On the morning of March 7th, 1936, the Führer offered to France and Belgium a 25-year non-aggression pact to be guaranteed by Great Britain and Italy. And he also declared Germany's willingness to re-enter the League of Nations and to negotiate concerning disarmament. At noon, addressing the Reichstag, Hitler said, Fellow members of the Reichstag, why should it not be possible to put an end to this useless strife between Germany and France, which has lasted for centuries? Why should it not be possible to lift the general problem of conflicting interests between the European states above the sphere of passion and on reason? and consider it in the calm light of a higher vision. 
that very moment, our soldiers were already in the Rhineland, a movement which had begun early that morning when 25,000 troops had marched. They reached the former garrison towns on the Rhine, Düsseldorf, Koblenz, Mainz, Mannheim and Cologne before midday, and several battalions immediately crossed to the left bank of the Rhine and occupied the cities of Saarbrücken and Trier. And in France, the cabinet under Premier Sarrault met to consider the situation. Monsieur, Monsieur, the question is how to act in this crisis that affects France and Europe. As Prime Minister, I have been considered... Monsieur Sarrault. Yes, Monsieur Mandel. There is only one way to act, and that is swiftly, courageously, and with determination. You suggest... That we send Hitler an ultimatum demanding that he withdraw his troops from the Rhineland immediately. And uh, if he should refuse, Monsieur Mandel... We execute our ultimatum and send into the Rhineland an army of sufficient force to throw him out. Monsieur Mandel... Is it wise to act so precipitately and alone? How would you act, monsieur? I would advise consultation with Great Britain. She is also a signatory to the Locarno Pact. She is pledged to aid us against military aggression. But let us first learn her attitude so that we do not find ourselves acting alone. Monsieur, monsieur, Great Britain will honor her treaty obligations and back us with military force if we take action. However, if we ask the British government what it intends to do in the present temper of British public opinion and considering the too trusting attitude of the Baldwin government toward Hitler, we will be dissuaded from taking any positive action whatsoever. Not at all, monsieur. But yes, we will be urged to refer the entire matter to the Council of the League of Nations. Hitler may be censured. But he will have the Rhineland. And the detainment points from which the German army can invade France will have been advanced a hundred miles. This, monsieur, must not happen. Monsieur Sarrault, have you consulted with the commander-in-chief? Yes, I have. General Gamelin said that in view of what he believes is the size of the German occupation force and considering Hitler's stage of preparedness, if we are to take armed action... There must be nothing less than general mobilization. General mobilization? The cost of that would be fantastic. The country would never accept it. And there is an election approaching. An election. Better a few, a million politicians lose their offices than France, its existence. Messieurs, if Poincaré and Clemenceau were alive today, what do you think they would do? They would throw this challenge back into Hitler's teeth. They would march into the Rhineland, and so must we. Hitler has destroyed the Locarno Pact. But Hitler has said he still recognizes Locarno, and he has offered a 25-year non-aggression pact. Oh, how can we be so idiotic as to believe a congenital liar like Hitler, who has broken his world of dishonor time without number, who article by article has torn up both the Versailles Treaty, which Germany was forced to sign at the end of the last war, and the Locarno Treaty, which she signed of her own free will in 1925. Monsieur, Hitler is not yet prepared for war. There is a risk, of course, that he may fight. But we must take it. This is our last chance. If we do not stop Germany today, a world war is inevitable. We must act now.
are listening to what might have happened. If by a stroke of fate, the French had opposed by military action Hitler's reoccupation of the Rhineland. Our story has been historically true up to this point. From now on, historical possibility guides our imagination. The French government then issued an ultimatum to the Führer, giving him 72 hours to evacuate our forces from the Rhineland. And at the same time, decreed the general mobilization of the French army. France's ally Poland mobilized troops on the East Prussian border. The Führer still could not believe that the French would take military action. However, when French forces entered the Rhineland and Britain declared its intention of honoring its treaty obligations to France, our commanding generals, obeying their secret instructions, withdrew our troops from the Rhineland and a conflict was avoided. General von... Catastrophic, von Vick. Never before in our history has a German army been forced to retreat without firing shots. Our professional army has been ir irretrievably tarnished. With the French and Polish armies poised on our borders, memories of 1918 rose to plague our people, who realized for the first time the disasters towards which the Führer's fanaticism was leading them. Sensing that his position was tottering, the Führer struck out against all opposition with increased ferocity. But brave critics would not be stilled. From one pulpit... Adolf Hitler has not been satisfied to crush the civil liberties of the German people. He has replaced the worship of the Almighty God with a new religion, the worship of Almighty Hitler and Hitlerism. And now, besides all his other crimes against the German people, he has arrogantly challenged the world and lost and brought upon us, brought us to the verge of armed conflict only 18 years after Germany and Europe have suffered through the bloodbath of a world war. I, Müller, your pastor, say that the Führer must stop before it is too late. Security police, open. Yes? Hey, Hitler. Master Müller, you are under arrest. A few trade union leaders also dared to raise their voices against the Führer, as did some communists and a number of former mayors of German cities who had been removed by the Nazis. There were thousands of arrests hundreds of executions, with the Führer's repressive tactics being directed chiefly against churchmen and the church. General von Beck, I'm greatly concerned about the imprisoning and execution of so many ministers and leaders of the church. General von Fritsch, knowing that you have always been a strong supporter of the church, I understand your concern and I want you to know that I share it. Church has always been an influence for order. It is the rock upon which the might of the fatherland has been built in the past. Now the Führer seems more determined than ever to destroy it. General von Fritsch, have you discussed this with the Führer? 
I informed the Fuhrer there were many other officers of the general staff who felt as I did. And? Well, you know how the Fuhrer talks to you as if he were addressing a public meeting. He made a speech accusing the general staff of being weak-willed. Huh. Then he ordered me to have the general staff prepared to draw plans for the military occupation of Austria. What? After what happened in the Rhineland? I am sure the Fuhrer believes that he must make Germany and the world forget his failure in the Rhineland by the success of some great stroke such as the Austrian Anschluss. He is even convinced that his friend Mussolini, uh, he actually called him his friend, will let him get away with this. He's crazy. Doesn't he remember what happened to Mussolini in March? Doesn't he remember the oil sanctions that England and France imposed on Italy after we retreated from the Rhineland? Has he forgotten the Italian jackal's shamefaced withdrawal from Ethiopia? Doesn't he see that Mussolini will do everything in his power to ingratiate himself with England and France? He sees only what he wants to see. He is undoubtedly convinced that he cannot maintain his position with Germany by standing still. Ah, yes. He must move forward. Even if it means war. And we are not strong enough to fight the world again. General von Fritsch, if the Führer should order the army to march into Austria, then to save Germany, we must... Yes, General von Beck. I agree with you. On May 21st, 1936, the Führer, in a speech to the Reichstag, said, Germany neither intends nor wishes to interfere in the internal affairs of Austria, to annex Austria, or to conclude an Anschluss. In July 1936, a treaty was signed with Austria in which Germany agreed that it would not in any way influence the eternal affairs of Austria, nor give any active support to the Austrian National Socialist Party. Within five days after this pact had been signed, the Führer sent secret instructions to the National Socialist leaders in Austria to increase their activities. In Germany, the Führer had apparently suppressed opposition, but only apparently. And dissatisfaction within the general staff and among many officers increased. In July 1937, General von Fritsch and I were summoned to a conference with the Führer. We made preparations, for we knew why we were summoned. Gentlemen, I have decided. The day after tomorrow, the army will move over the border into Austria in accordance with the prepared plan of Case Otto. Pardon, mein Führer, but have you considered the terrible consequences to Germany of an Austrian invasion? General von Beck, of course I have considered what you call these terrible consequences. Mein Führer, France is already in the Rhineland. So, Fritz, she will attack from the west. Mussolini will send troops to the Brenner Pass as he did in 1934 when Dolfus was assassinated. You generals, you are the same kind of weaklings who lost the last war for the fatherland. I am the only one who has the courage to take the risks we must take to survive. Once we have Austria, the doors will be open to Czechoslovakia and southeastern Europe. But, my Führer, we will not be permitted to take Austria. This is national suicide. I want no argument. I have an intuitive feeling for the right moment to strike. And this is the moment now. My Führer, your intuition betrayed you in the Rhineland incident. I told you I want no argument. You 
will issue orders for the army to march into Austria the day after tomorrow in accordance with the prepared plan. This is a command. My Fuhrer, we cannot issue such an order. And if we did, the general staff would refuse to obey. Traitors, have you forgotten the oath that you and every other soldier swore to me as your leader? There comes a time when loyalty to the fatherland must supersede loyalty to any one man, no matter how highly placed. You are under arrest, both of you! No, Herr Hitler! To the contrary, it is you who are under arrest. Have you gone mad, you insubordinate fools? How dare you speak this way to me? Colonel Farben, arrest Herr Hitler. Hitler was taken by a company of soldiers escorted by tanks to the Prince Albrechtstrasse prison. Our plans had been well made and were perfectly executed. Göring, Goebbels, Rosenberg, and the rest of the Nazi hierarchy were arrested. The general staff issued a proclamation explaining the necessity for our action, calling for loyalty to the fatherland and threatening the severest punishment to those who resisted. The army, with few exceptions, was faithful to the generals. The exceptions were dealt with. The diehards who attempted a counter-revolution were killed by the hundreds. Order was restored. I was selected by the military government to act as head of the state pending elections. I then went to see Hitler. Ah, what, what do you want? Herr Hitler, I will waste no words. Filthy swine, degenerate traitor, destroyer of the fatherland. In accordance with the verdict of the court-martial, you are to be executed within half an hour. The court-martial was illegal. Within half an hour. Execution squad is ready. You would not dare. All Germany will be bathed in blood. Order has been restored. We will maintain it. I offer you a choice. What choice? You have always prided yourself on being a soldier. You can take a German soldier's way out. Not the corporals, and officers. You're crazy. All of you, degenerate swine. I will leave this revolver here on the table. It contains one bullet. I advise you to use it. If you do not, you will be taken out and executed. decided that a strong government backed by the army must be maintained and that gradually a greater measure of civil liberties would be granted. In the meantime, the anti-Semitic regulations, which had so blackened Germany's name throughout the world, were relaxed. The government also decided Germany must re-enter the family of nations and we offered to join the League of Nations. Realizing that a continued armaments race would be economically ruinous to us, we sincerely suggested a world disarmament conference. The Hitlerian era was ended. You are listening to Stroke of Fate. And now may we introduce our history consultant on tonight's play, the noted expert on recent European affairs, editor with Felix Gilbert of a new best-selling book, The Diplomats, professor of history at Princeton University, Dr. Gordon Craig. The stroke of fate this evening was the decision of the French cabinet to mobilize and send troops into the Rhineland. Had this been done, 
tonight's story, after the stroke of fate, might not have been fiction, for Hitler had ordered his troops to withdraw from the Rhineland if French forces opposed them. Actually, the French government passed the buck to the English. The English expressed doubt about the effectiveness of retaliation, and Prime Minister Baldwin refused to take the risk of war. The Western powers then took no effective measures, and Hitler was left in military possession of the Rhineland. Simultaneously, Mussolini was permitted to emerge from Ethiopia victorious. Anglo-French weakness convinced the dictators that there would be no real opposition to any further aggression. By July 1936, they were both aiding Franco in Spain, and by November, bound together in the Axis, they resolved to destroy the last vestiges of collective security. In February 1938, Hitler removed von Fritsch from office and dismissed other generals whose loyalty he doubted. Beck retired voluntarily in protest against Hitler's aggressive plans and was subsequently involved in the officers' revolt of 1944, committing suicide when it failed. Meanwhile, in March 1938, Hitler completed the Austrian Anschluss without opposition. In September, at Munich, he was given Czechoslovakia's richest provinces. In March... Welcome back. Well, this was a very plausible uh, alternate history. Of course, extrapolating this sort of alternate history to alt- our times, we would have to also consider some of the positive things to come out of World War II that may have come later, or perhaps uh, not at all. But for the war, the great uh, tragedy is there's a good case that this um, incursion to the Rhineland was a focal point and a key moment in history. Writers basically theorize that if France had taken action, it would have sent a signal to all of these uh, other uh, fascist powers to watch it. But by France and England refusing to hold Germany to account, it emboldened all of the uh, fascist powers out there, and it also strengthened Hitler's hand within Germany. And it is this sort of thought that will often drive a lot of uh, foreign policy decisions we'll see in the United States as presidents will often hearken back to this moment when making decisions about powers that seem to not pose any current national security threat, but if their behaviors are unchecked, unpunished, and allowed to go without any sort of comment, it could lead to war and to the type of catastrophe uh, we dealt with in the course of World War II. And perhaps that's the... uh, thing to remember that had the French and British responded in the Rhineland and Hitler had ended up being taken by a coup in the mid-30s, probably outside of Germany, hardly anyone who would know who Hitler was. And so it may be that the best and wisest leadership is the one that makes decisions that avert crises in ways we don't particularly find memorable. Well, tomorrow we turn from speculation to the reality of the day that so many Americans waited for, the day they would turn to their loved ones who had returned from overseas and say, welcome home. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. 
This program is a production of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net. Ken Curlin provides the opening theme music, kencurlin.com. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.